I'm always humbled to get to be back. I'm always thankful uh, that God even allows me to do this. I'm thankful to be a part of our church. Thankful for our pastors and uh, for how God is using them and leading them. And so as we come today and as we go to God's Word, um, I would like for you to go today to Colossians 2. Colossians 2, chapter 6, or chapter 6. Colossians 2, chapter 2, verse 6. As we talk about this today... And I'm going to apologize because I know that our staff and our volunteers work really hard. We don't have things up on the screen today. You know why? It's my bad. It's me. I take full responsibility for that. So I'm going to encourage you, either have your Bible open or write things down. Don't take my word for it. Read the Bible yourself. Let God speak to you. Let's start in a word of prayer real quick. Father, again, I thank you for who you are. And Lord, as we are before you today, and even as my brother has prayed Lord, that you would um, glorify yourself. Each one of us today needs a touch from you of encouragement, of conviction. Lord God, of hearts that have made hard, that are softened. Lord, those that are hopeless to be reminded that you are hope. Lord, I pray that you would organize my thoughts. We lift this up in the name of Jesus and we pray. Amen. Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Uh, The sermon series that our pastors have taken us on is this, this verse that's impacted you. And so this verse that has impacted me in Colossians of 2.6, I went through 7 to go through the rest of it, but therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. When I grew up um, here in Elizabethtown, a church that I was going through at Tunnel Hill Baptist Church, I grew up, and as I was there, um, the word was preached, and, and I'd heard the gospel. But I was a child that dealt with a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety. Um, my parents were going through a divorce, um, and as a child, that I was, guess, five at that point in time, and then figuring out how to grow up through that, I just had a lot of fear. Just a lot of fear. You would never know it because I was a hyperacting child, um, but there was a lot of fear that was in my life. And I remember at that point in time, I had this question where I was like going, I don't want to go to hell. Like, I just, I don't want to go to hell. And so I remember sitting down with, uh, with our pastor, Brother Poppin. I remember sitting down and talking with him. My mom took me to the office. We went and we sat down and we started to talk about this. And I began to talk about all my fears. And he shared Jesus with me. And so when He had shared Christ with me. I ended up going to church. I don't know if it was that Sunday or a few Sundays later, and I was sitting there, and uh, and we're getting towards the end of service, and I'm ready to be done because I'm hungry, and Godzilla's going to be on at 12, okay? And we're not going to get home. It's going to be 1230. I've already missed 30 minutes of this, and I want to see Godzilla, and I want to eat, okay? So we're gotten to the invitation, and here I'm sitting, and all of a sudden, I remember I wasn't paying attention. Then I started, and I, I found myself walking down the aisle, and I didn't know how I got there. And there's the pastor who we had just talked about this, and he's like going, so you've come here to receive Christ. And I was like, because what are you supposed to say? You're like, no, nah, I was just taking a stroll, right? You know, it's just like, and so you're just like, yes, that's what I did. And so it's like, oh, good. And so they present you and they do all this. And, and then I get baptized. And, and, and then, I don't know if I was 10 or 12 at this point in time, but I spent the next four years doubting everything. The next four years, I was like going, God, like, 
Did I say the prayer right? God, did I, did I do this right? Lord, I just, what did I do? I don't even know why I walked the aisle. How did I end up there? What was taking place? All these doubts. And I went to church camp, and, and here at church camp, and, and so I went and I began to talk about, about you know, this, this struggle that I had. I don't know why I felt like I couldn't talk about it at church, but I went and I talked to these camp counselors, these people that were important. But I spent the next four years of just in anguishing doubt. Did I do this right? Jesus, what did I do wrong? I know I've sinned and, and I do this and I say and all and I doubt after doubt after doubt after doubt. And I remember, and it really was painful, because I remember the fourth year I went back to church camp and I, I brought it up. And I said, I just don't know what I've done wrong. And I remember, and I, I give in grace now, because I realized the other day I probably had not forgiven, I probably hadn't forgiven these people. And that was wrong of me. And I just, I just realized it. Like, I just kind of like went on. But I realized I'd actually had some, some anger towards uh, these people. And I remember sitting there talking about this again my fourth year. And they were like, Sean, you're just going to have to get over this. Like, it's almost, and I don't think they meant it that way, like you get, but I think they had heard it over and over again, like going, Sean, you're just going to have to, like, you just, you just need to make a decision. You just need to make a decision. But that lack of compassion really hit me hard. I was like, I, I'm, I didn't mean to be a burden to you. Like, I really am struggling. And it was at the moment where I sat on my bed, And I don't know how old I was. And I, I appreciate Tommy Tingle. Tommy and I have been high school friends, well, elementary, ele all the way through, brother. It's like, mm. Tommy brought this up to me when I was talking about my testimony. He goes, Sean, I think you, you, you knew Christ. You were acting different before then and everything. And I appreciate you making me think through that, brother. I really do. I love you. I appreciate you. And I was on my bed one day. And I was broken. I was grieving. I was in tears. I had my Bible open. And I was like going, I can't, I don't know how to do this. Like, I, I don't know how to do this. Like, God, what have I done wrong? Like, I, I, what have I done wrong? I don't know what else to do. I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. I've done, what do I need to do? I've never audibly heard God. Like, I know there would be some of you that have heard God. Praise God for it. Like, I, that's awesome. I've never audibly heard him. But I know when he talks to me. And God spoke to me in that moment. Trust me. Trust me. Just trust me. And something happened in that moment that I will tell you that changed my life. Because in that moment, I said, God, I don't know the right words. I don't know how to do this. I haven't got it all figured out, but here's what I know. I believe in who you say that you are, and I trust what you've said to me is right. And so I put it all in on you. Whoever you are and say you are, I trust you. And I never had a peace like that in my entire life that has lasted from that moment all the way through. Now, I will say this. The weird thing in that moment is we were having a revival at the church. It's the most boring revival I've ever been to in my entire life. Like, I was at that revival sitting there going, oh, my goodness, like, this is killing. I was a teenager, boring revival. The guy that was preaching just, I mean, just like, oh. But it's never about the pastor. It's about the word of God. And he was preaching the word of God. I'm going to encourage you, get past your preferences if the word's being preached. It's your problem about the preferences. God's word impacts no matter what. No matter what. And that word split through everything. And I went up to my pastor. I was 
14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. And I remember walking up to him and I said, Pastor, I want you to know, like, I've given my life to Christ. I have now followed him. I'm trying to be obedient and make sure that people are hearing this. And I said, and I need to get baptized. And he goes, okay, you already received Christ and we don't rebaptize." And I remember saying this to him at like 14, 15, 16, whatever it was, I looked at him and said, Pastor, I don't believe in rebaptism either. I'm getting baptized for the first time. I got wet the first time. I'm trusting in Jesus now. My life changed after that. It changed. I was different. I wasn't perfect, but I was different. And then I started living the Christian life. And then all of a sudden, I started to say, okay, I'm reading the Bible. God, I'm supposed to be doing this. Why do I keep failing? God, I'm supposed to be doing this. I got to keep failing. I mean, I keep failing. I don't want to fail. And it was a few years into it where God got a hold of me again. And he's like going... Uh, you didn't save yourself, I did. You're not going to perfect your faith, I will. Trust me. Church, I, hear, I want you to hear today as we hear about this, as we listen to this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did I receive Jesus? How did you receive Jesus? If you have, I won't make assumptions. I remember, I'm not supposed to ask questions. Sean, don't, we don't talk. God may move. I don't know. I get it. So, How did you receive Christ? By faith, right? You did it because you went to church and checked the box and that was what gave you your salvation. No. You received Christ by faith. How's your walk going? Is it now about you working harder? Is it now about you making sure that you check the boxes? Or is it about Christ, I trust you and I follow you? What are we supposed to, faith, what are we supposed to have faith in? What God is calling us to is not about obedience without relationship. I think there are too many times as Christians, if we do not watch, what we end up doing is we go, supposed to go to church, supposed to tithe, supposed to be there this time, supposed to be there this time, uh, I do this. And you know what? When I don't go to church, I'm way off. I'm just, I just am off. So I got to make sure that I, I check the box. If I go to church, it's not because I'm checking a box. It's because I know my God is inviting me in to worship Him and to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ in this relationship. I trust Him and what He's telling me to be about. How many of y'all, though, ever get caught up with checking the box? Can you be honest with me? How many of you ever get caught up checking the box? Right? It's like going, God, you love me because I've been to church every single week. Some of them people didn't show up on Father's Day. I'm better than they are. Because I go. Guess what? God doesn't love you anymore. The relationship that God has called us to is this relational love. If I trust Him, I trust Him and because I'm in this relationship building with Him. What do I trust? His character. My God is holy. What about yours? If you read this Bible and you're saying, God's, well, he's, not, he's, you know, he's got some flaws. We're not reading the same Bible. This Bible that we read, that we're both reading, says He is a holy God. He is a perfect God. He hates sin. Did you know that? Like, hates it. Like, when God tells us about sin, He's not telling us that this is probably not a good idea not to do this. He is telling us this is an offense against a holy God that you are choosing to engage in something that he hates because he has told you that he loves you and desires relationship and you tell him, I got a better plan. That's what it is. God tells us 
what it is, inviting us into relationship, and we tell him, I know what that means most of the time, but my circumstances are different. Anybody ever make excuse for your sin? Church, his character and who he is does not change. I can trust his character. He does not change every single time. He is who he is, who he is, who he is. I can trust that. And I'm called to trust that. I'm also called to trust this. I know that he's holy and that he's perfect, that he hates sin. I also know that he says that he chooses by grace to receive me as I am and transform me into who he wants me to be. He is full of grace and love. I believe that too. Why? Because that's who he says he is. And I move my life in that direction. People that sit there and say, well, there's no way that God can love me. I've messed up too long. What are you trusting in, your actions or his actions? What are you trusting in, what you've done or what he's done? His character and who he is says this, you can't trust me. Put faith in me. We also trust his intentions. What do we mean by intentions? Can I share an immature story of myself? Or would you rather me share an immature story of you? It'll be me, right? I get it. I understand. I'm very thankful for my bride. I'm very thankful for my children. Before my children were born, and I'm trying to figure out what it means to be married at this point in time, because I'm just kind of like going, all right, we're going to be married. She'll think whatever I think, and we'll just get along. It doesn't work that way. She's her own person. I'm my own person. There's a lot of tension that gets to be there. But I know this. My wife, she, I, like, I, I love to have fun, make jokes all the time, can do all those things. I just That's who I am. And then I can be serious where I need to be. But my wife, she loves to have fun too. And so we would pick at each other. So I would pick at her and ha, 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 ha. We would do it. And she'd be like, ha, 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 ha. And it was funny. And then all of a sudden she would sit there and say, and then ha, 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 ha. And I'd be like going, ha, I can't believe you said that about me. And I would pout as a grown man because she would make this joke because I was like going, she's being like passive aggressive. She's picking at me. She's doing this. She's trying to, she's trying to say, she's really upset with me. She just won't say it. Now, here's what I have learned over by the grace of God over if God allows us to be, it'll be 24 years this year. Here, it took me forever to learn this, but here's what I know. I learned my wife is not passive-aggressive. Why did I learn that? Because she tells me exactly what she thinks. I don't have to guess. I don't have to know. She'll sit there and say, nope, I don't think that. Here's what I'm letting you know. So I don't have to worry about playing games with her. She'll just tell me. But I used to not trust her intentions. I would sit there and say, she's got to be mad at me. That's why she made that joke. That's why she made that dig. What changed in our marriage is when I started to trust her, she's going to tell me, what it, if it's a joke, it's a joke. Now, I can still say I'd rather you not joke in that area, but a lot of times I was like, you can't joke in any area because that was my issue. When I started to realize in this moment how we could talk, I've realized this. When she makes a joke now, I laugh my head off because I've realized I trust her intention. We're laughing together. We're laughing with each other. She's not laughing at me. We're laughing together. Anybody have that problem with a family member, spouse, you don't trust their intentions, you get defensive with them. Not supposed to talk about that, right? 
Well, with God, here's the thing. We can trust God's intentions. How could, a, how could a loving God allow this horrible thing to happen? Ask your question. It's a good thing that you ask, but I'm going to share with you right now, if you sit there and say, he's not loving. What has he done to show you that he's not loving? If we don't watch it, God loves our questions. I think he can handle them. He's big enough to handle them. But there comes to be a point where there's an affront to God when it's like going, why do you always think that I don't love? Why do you think I'm here to destroy you? Why do you think that I'm here doing this? God's in saying, do you trust my intentions towards you? My intentions are to love you, to build you up, to discipline you if you're in the midst of sin. If you're my child in faith, I will discipline you. I will convict you. But you can trust that that's meant to build you up and to bring glory to me. But if every single time we look at his attentions and we go, oh, it's just bad, woe is me, he doesn't love me now, everything's bad. That's an affront to God in our relationship. We're called to trust him. On top of that, we're called to trust his word. What he says, as we read through this scripture, I appreciate um, I appreciate it. I've got to hear uh, Pastor Scott. I've got to hear Brother Jonas. Uh, Pastor Jonas, I've got to hear them. I really appreciate the things they brought out. One of the things I appreciate it with, with uh, Pastor Scott bringing out is like going, when we read the Bible, put it in context. Do you remember that? So I don't get to look at a verse and sit there and say, that's my life verse and take it out of context. We've got to put it in context of what it says. True? Because it's not a promise if I manipulate it. What it is, and there's no faith there either. It's me making it what I want it to be instead of what God says to trust Him what He means. But trust His Word. When He says it, understand the context, but I can trust what He says. If He said that He made the world, I don't need to sit there and say, no, it didn't happen that way. Like, no, God formed it. God made it. I wasn't there to see it, but I trust His character, His intentions. I trust His Word. I trust His commands. That His commands are meant to be good and holy. And I'm meant to trust them. And then I'm meant to trust His promises. If He says it, it may not feel like it. I don't really care how you feel. Your feelings are important. It's okay to feel what you feel. But if you're going to apply that in faith and go, I just feel like this isn't going to work out, and God's promised and said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, I feel alone. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's okay that you feel alone. It's not good to sit there and say, God, you've left me alone. We can cry out to Him and tell Him how we feel, but at the end of the day, we need to say, I trust you. I want you to think about this as we, we look at this in this relation. Think about Genesis if you've got your Bible, go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said that the serpent... We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. There's already two things that have happened here. 
One, what did the enemy say? Did God really say that? The enemy says it and we say it too. How many of you all read through this Bible and there's parts of it you're uncomfortable with? If you're not, you're probably lying. Or not reading it. Thank you, beautiful wife. You either, you eat, you're not reading it or you're lying and saying, oh no, I believe it all. Now, I, if Jonah wrestled and the apostles wrestled with things that's going on, I would say that we all struggle with this. God always comes to us, or God comes to us and says, this is what I say, trust me, I'm inviting you into a relationship. We have this bad tendency to do this. God, I know what you say, but this is why I'm exempt from that. Because my circumstance is totally different than anything you would have ever thought of, all-knowing God. So this is why I don't have to be obedient. This is why I can make the exception to this command. Anybody do that? Did God really say that? Let me share with you. Put it in context, being in prayer, but at the end of the day, He really said it. He really said it. If God says, love your enemies, I don't care what political affiliation they are. You're called to love them. It doesn't mean you have to agree. You're called to love them. You're called to look like Christ. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little too loud there. But I'll be honest with you. If you think that one party or the other is going to save America, I'm going to tell you right now, you have lost on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Politics is important. I think God calls us to be involved in these things. But I'm going to share with you really quick. This, the only way things are going to do it is if we submit to Jesus Christ. The church be what it's supposed to be. It's God that's going to get the glory. But when we sit there and say, I don't have to love them because they got stupid ideas. In fact, I can call them an idiot because they're an idiot. The Bible says if you call somebody a fool... You're in danger of the hell fire. Why? Because that person is created in the image of God. And God doesn't make mistakes when he makes people. Are they disobedient? Yes, but so are you. And so am I. So I am called to speak truth and I have boundaries and I can stand up for the truth. But I do not attack people. Well, Sean, I don't like that. If you can find this in the scripture and show me, I will, re I will repent and say, you're right, because I need to line up with this Bible. But I'll share with you right now, if you're sitting there going, I just think they're stupid. You can think what you want, but at the end of the day, you better conform to the God who loves you. Because if not, you're not practicing faith. You're practicing you. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? The temptation. Yes, he said it. And then we go to Eve, which the other problem is this. Adam's right there with her because she hands a piece of fruit to him. Why is he keeping his mouth shut? Why isn't he sitting there going, we heard this together? He's being quiet. He's not doing anything. She's speaking up in this moment. They're not trying to work together. She's taking this on. And then she says, well, he told us that we're not supposed to eat, nor we're supposed to. 
touch. What's the problem with that? Did God say not to touch it? He said not to eat it. Why is it a big deal that she adds not to touch it? Why is that a problem? Have you ever thought about this? When you take away from God's word, you're saying, I don't trust or like what you said, and I have a better understanding than you, Almighty God. This doesn't need to be in the Bible. I know better than you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your child looking at you and go, I know that you're the adult, but actually, um, I know that I'm eight, but I know better than you. I am going to be so much better to be on my tablet 24 hours a day. You don't know what you're talking about. Now, I don't know how you parent. I will tell you this. I would love to talk with my children and negotiate with them at times, but sometimes I'm like going, uh, this is the way we're doing it because I love you. But when we add to God's word, no matter what our intention is, we keep telling God, uh, you need my help to make sure this gets understood better. God doesn't need your help. He needs your submission and trust and love and obedience. The serpent tells her, you will, not die. you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will not die. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what the real, in my opinion, what the real sin was? That, that's the first that we know of, of this human sin. That's the first one, and we say, well, that's the first disobedient sin. When I read this, the way I understand it, and pastor, I'd be open to your thoughts. To me in this moment, it's lack of trust. It's lack of faith. This is the first thing that happens. The first thing that happens. God, we doubt what you say and we're not going to trust you and we're not going to conform to it. And you would think, well, what's the big deal of eating a piece of fruit? Church, I think that's why we miss the whole point of why sin is so nasty. Because sin is about relationship, not about checking the box. When we don't relate to God in relation and we're relating and checking the box, we're like going, that's not a big deal. We even justify our sin that way. It's not a big deal. There's worse sins than this one. I'm not really doing anything that's that bad. I mean, I'm not like them people over there. I'm just, it's just, and it's okay. I can't really, it's just, mm. You are justifying something that God has revealed to you of saying, you're breaking relationship with me when you choose to do it your way instead of my way. So that sin is not just an action. It's a break of trust. It's a breach of trust. How do you like it when you've had trust broken with you? How does that feel? What's that do to your relationship? Nobody's going to speak up, right? I know I'm not supposed to ask questions. Lack of trust can destroy a relationship. People can be in the same house and say this. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to be ready. I don't trust you. True or false. Even if you do all the checkboxes, right? Even if you do all the checkboxes. Now think about this with God. God looks at you and you're like going, well, God, I went to church. And he's like going, not one time did you ever make it about me. You made it about you feeling good and making yourself feel holy. You never made it about worshiping me. 
In fact, here's how I know that. You walked in and sat down. You didn't love any of your brothers and sisters. You didn't do anything else. You went in to make sure that you got what you need spiritually, forgot everybody else, and walked out. Which I have done before, too. So I'm not up here telling you I've got it figured out. I've had to preach through this sitting in the same seat going, yes, God, I get it. I understand. I've blown it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm not coming at you like I have it figured out. I'm telling you, we're all in the same boat. But when God says love God and love others, and I just make it about my spiritual journey, that's blasphemous. It's not about your spiritual journey. It's about His glory. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. I don't care what moral things you stand for. I don't care what moral things you're doing in your life. If it's not based in relationship of trusting Him and walking with Him, your morality means nothing. All the good deeds that you do, where if you give money to charities or you go and you serve people and you do all this, if that's not done out of faith unto God to submit to Him, it has done nothing for you. When we do it, it's because we have read God's Word, know His character, His intentions, what it is said, and we have done this. God, I do this very thing because I love you and I want to love what you love and I want to be about this. And so God, yes, I do it for you. But how nasty is sin? Because if you really allow God to work through your life, how many of our intentions at times are really about faith? Can we just be honest? This is why sin is so nasty. And this is why God has done something. There's nothing we can do for our salvation. And the only thing for our Christian walk that we can do, if you're caught up in your Christian walk and saying, I gotta, I gotta move harder, I gotta work harder, I gotta get God to love me, I gotta do this, oh, I messed that up, he's gonna hate me, oh, I did this, he loves me. The same way you came to Christ was you surrendered and said, I just trust what you've said and trust what you've done and I surrender to you to do what's your work. And the same thing in my walk is this, God, I know there's things you've gotta work in my life, but everything I do I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for a relationship. When I've sinned, I repent. Why? Because this is what you told me. I confess. I turn away and I start to trust that you're doing a work in my life. I had somebody not within the church and not within family. I had somebody that I had hurt. Not intentionally, but I can understand. And so I had messed up. But that person in that moment just unloaded on me. Like I hadn't realized that I had hurt them. After they explained themselves, I was like going, no, absolutely, you have every right to be hurt and frustrated by this. But they didn't give the chance to do anything. They were just like going, I can't believe you would do something like this. I've never done that to anybody. Like I can't believe you would do this. And I will tell you right then and there, I tried to... I'm trying to be calm. I'm trying to do this. But I will share with you, my default when somebody comes at me is this. We're done. We're done. I don't need you. We're done. You're not going to talk to me that way. 
You're not going to disrespect me. I didn't even mean to do it. We could have had this conversation. I'm done. That's my flesh. And I will tell you right now, it's the first thing I thought about. It's like, I tried to be calm. I tried to be patient. I'm trying to sit there and walk through it. And it's just like, mm, 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 coming at me. And so I was like going, huh, all right, yeah. I don't need you. And they're a brother in Christ. And then all of a sudden, God began to bring scripture to my life. And he reminded me, forgive others as I have forgiven you. Love as I love you. And I was like going, that's great, God, but that doesn't apply here. Because you, you know what they did? Like, trying to make excuses. And then God really convicted me and I said, I am tired of people breaking things up. I'm tired of the church and Christians. COVID was a joke. And here's what I mean it was a joke. I'll be honest with you. Here's why it's a joke. Because some of you sit there and say, it was a joke because we shouldn't have done this or we shouldn't have done that. No, here's the joke. The joke is this. Brothers and sisters in Christ who have differing opinions were using Scripture to defend both positions against each other. To prove their points. And the one thing that did not happen overall as a church, I'm not saying specifically here, I'm saying overarching. Nobody was trying to figure out how to love one another and try to figure it out. It was just about going, your intentions are wrong. And so where are we at now? We're at a less percentage of people who watch that happen in the moment of the church. Less people are wanting to attend. Less people are wanting to show up. People that have, uh, Christians now make excuses. I don't have to go there. I don't need to be there. I don't have to go there. As long as my spiritual journey, except for it talks about in Hebrews, don't forsake the fellowship, right? It was a joke because we had an opportunity to practice faith of going, God, how do I love my brother or sister right now? Because I really disagree with where they're at. But God, how do I love them? How do I figure this out? But there's things to this day that still people hold grudges against each other on. When that happened to me and this individual, I was like going, I don't want to do it. I want to check out. I don't have to do this. I'll find other friends. But God convicted me in that moment. Sean, what does the word say? And so I made the decision as I looked at that and I said, God, I don't know. I'm going to, to the scripture says, to the best of my ability, get along with everybody. That's what God calls me to do. I'm not giving you permission to run over me. There's boundaries that have got to be set in times in relationships. Sometimes we might not be able to have relationships because you keep running over me. And I'm like, hey, I love you, but... But I have to learn how to love. Why? Not because I have to, because God has loved me first. And so what does that mean? So I went to that person and I was like going, I apologize for my part. I'm sorry for what I've done. But that other person God had been working on, they were like going, eh, maybe I kind of, I'm not really mad at you. I'm really, well, it could have fooled me but begin to try to figure out how to work things out. Why? Because if we, keep, if we use this as the example of, I don't have to love people. I don't have to forgive people. You hurt me. I don't have to forgive you. Think about that when it comes to you and Jesus. What does that look like? Jesus is like going, I'm tired of you. I don't have to forgive you. You've told me you, you're sorry 20,000 times. I don't have, I'm tired of you. I could, could you imagine God saying that? But that's how we feel at times. But God loves us, has this great grace. As we come to this moment of wrapping up, 
I want you to think about Jesus. And I want you to think about this. Remember Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to Him, near to God, must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Abraham, at 75, God said, I'm going to show you a land, come and follow me. At 75, he could have said, I'm retired, I'm checked out, what are you talking about? What did he do? He got up, he started to move. And then God promised him this, I'm going to give you heirs more numerous than the stars, more numerous than the grains of sand. And then for 25 years, at 75, he's already sitting there going, God, you know how this works? Like, uh, do you? He didn't do that. He was like going, I believe you. I trust you. But it's not until 100 that he has Isaac. 100. Abraham didn't believe it because he saw it. He believed it because he trusted God's character and who he is and his promises. It's not about what I feel. It's not about what I see. It's about do I trust what God says? Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The perfecter of our faith, not we're the perfecter of our faith, he is. How does he perfect our faith? By us trusting him. He's the perfection. I'm the one that's running the race. I'm running the race, not for perfection. He's my perfection. I'm running the race out of a thankfulness, out of a gratefulness, out of the grace that's been given to me, out of the forgiveness that's been given to me. Why do I continue to chase God? Because I can't believe he loves me. He should have thrown me away. He should have been done with me. But he has this deep love for me. And I'm motivated by that. You ever get motivated by someone's love? I don't know who my parents are anymore now that we have kids and grandkids. I don't know who they are. My mother's like going, you will never drink a Coke ever in your entire life. Cokes are bad. Will not have Cokes. My mother one night took Shiloh out, I think they ended up with a milkshake at like 8 o'clock at night. I'm like, who are you? But love does crazy things. Right or wrong? What does God love? What does God's love do for you? Well, he can't possibly love me. Then you're not reading this and trusting him. Well, God can't forgive me. He died on the cross while you were at your worst. He didn't wait for you to say you're sorry. He died before you ever said you were sorry because he loves you. I never have to doubt his love if I trust him. And think about this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy. The joy that was set before him endured the cross. Those don't make any sense. How can you have joy? John 15, 9 through 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Why did we say this joy? Because you and I are going to suffer in this world for the things that God calls us to follow him and do. Amen? If I'm going to follow God and I say, Jesus, I want the salvation going to heaven, but I don't want to suffer, that's not Christianity. That's some false gospel or something that's been taught to you on TV or televangelism. Sit there and go, I tell you what, you just say it and God takes it and everything else. And then when suffering happens, it's like, going, well, you just don't have enough faith. That is a lie out of hell. It's a lie out of hell. My Jesus suffered. The apostles suffered. The Old Testament people suffered. Suffering happens. Why? Because this world is not my home. I am promised something greater. And so if God calls me and gives me 100 years and I don't have to go through a lot of the crazy things that other people do, praise be unto God if I'm following him. But if all of a sudden I find myself being persecuted or if I find myself in this moment going through something that I didn't expect or my health, there's something I didn't expect this way, God, what? I can trust God's intentions in that moment. Why? Because it's for his glory. If he gives me a thorn in the flesh and I pray three times to get it away and God's like going, no, because my grace is sufficient then I say, praise God, because that means you're doing something that's going to give you glory, and it's going to benefit me if I will walk with you. Do you know how many of our brothers and sisters this morning are in an underground church, some of them being arrested, some of them being executed, some of them have been in prison for 10 years just because they shared the gospel? And it's amazing listening to the testimonies of those brothers and sisters when they're like going, yes, there was pain, and yes, there was this. I'd do it all again for Jesus Christ. Why? They have a joy. What's the joy? Jesus, being obedient to you and trusting you, you are my joy. That's that faith. Now, let me share this. Don't go looking for suffering, okay? Because that's not godly. But I will say this, in all honesty... But when suffering comes, and I'm just telling you, you will suffer. The Bible promises that. If you're not suffering in some ways, you may want to ask God, am I, am I trusting you? Am I being obedient? There's something that needs to happen. And we're not talking about suffering for dumb decisions, because how many of us have done that? Right, like, right, like we can all raise our hands, sit there and say, dumb decision. That's not the suffering we're talking about. We're talking about the suffering of what it means to follow God. By the way, dumb decisions... Praise God, we got a God full of grace and love and forgiveness. Amen? Amen? He can take the dumb decisions that we've made and can redeem them by grace if I, when I trust Him. When I trust Him. Last thing I know. This joy that God gives me as I trust Him, regardless of my circumstance, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This type of love that God's given us, we're called to give it to others. We're called to stand for things that we need to stand for because God stands for them. But we're called to love people and trust God. James 1, 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I came to Christ because I finally trusted Him in what He's done for me and that He was complete in everything that He had done. I found great peace. Then when I tried to live my Christian life, I started to figure out how I was going to work harder, how I was going to work harder for God, but I was trying to do it so that I would feel better about myself. I was working harder in order to make sure I earned God's love. I was trying to do all these things until I realized it was all backwards. Why do I do these things? It's because God promises that He loves me. I do this out of relationship. And that if I'm doing anything with God that's about me instead of about looking at Him, I've probably messed it up. What are the things that God's calling you today that you need to be obedient about that you're making excuses about? I guarantee you, if you don't know, I'm going to please invite you lovingly. You need to be in the Word. If you're not in the Word, you can't know possibly what God is wanting to lead you to do. I'm not saying that He's not bigger than that, but He's given this for a reason. It's meant to sharpen, rebuke, encourage. Be in the Word. Is there something in this moment that God is inviting you to because He loves you, because He's convicting you, and you keep telling Him, no, I can't do it. You're missing out on faith. God is wanting to grow your relationship with Him, to trust Him, to be obedient and submit. Some of you are going through a trial right now. Some of you are going through a really hard time. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, and this has been your attitude towards it, He doesn't love me, and this is so bad, and I hate it, and everything else, and this is done. I don't see how this is going to turn out well. It's just miserable, and everything's bad. You've missed the joy of the Lord. You've lost out on a faith that He's inviting you to sit there and say, God, I don't like this moment. I'd rather not have it. Jesus' prayer, if there's any possible way, take this cup from me. But what's the second part of that prayer? Not my will, but yours be done. The epitome of faith. I'd rather not go through this. I'd rather I don't have to go through this. However, I trust you. And that even if I suffer, I'm going to find joy in the midst of this. There's nothing that can take the, your love and presence away from me. So if this brings you glory, then praise be unto God. I will trust you. I will step out. I will do it. Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to go with God? Change and look and say, God, I repent of this attitude of, of complaining and whining. I don't have joy, God. And thank you for loving me. Some of you out there, I guarantee you, some of you keep, you're trying to do the Christian life by working and earning you already have everything that you need, but you should run the race because He loves you, not because you have to, because of this great love. And quit telling God that things in this book don't have to be done. We won't be able to do all of it. Amen? But there's nothing in here that if He says we can do it, we can't do it through the grace of Jesus Christ. There's not a single command that He's given that I cannot follow. Why? Because He doesn't set up obstacles I can't do. Even salvation, you can't do it on your own, but if you trust me, that's it, because I get the glory. Salvation is of me. What is God speaking to you about today? What is it you need to surrender? What is it you need to praise Him for? What is it that God's doing? Is it faith? In the same way you came to Christ, let it be the same way that you continue.
Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you today. Lord, I pray this morning that you, whatever you need to say to your people, maybe it has to deal with this sermon today. Father, and maybe there's something else you've been talking to them all week. Lord, I pray that they would respond to you in faith. They would trust you. Lord, I pray that this morning, that if there are hurts that need to be reconciled, Father, that people would trust the things that you command. Lord, if there are commandments in your book that we keep making excuses for of not doing, Lord, I pray that you would convict us, you would remind us, and Lord, that we would step out in faith. Lord, I pray today for those that don't realize how much you love them, that today that they can trust the fact that you love them. That's why you died. There's not a single thing that they could ever do that can't be in, caught up in your love and forgiveness and grace. Lord, for those that don't know you today, they have not trusted you as Lord and Savior. Lord, that today would be the day. No more excuses. No more trying to figure. Today would be the day of trust. God, you've called me several times and convicted me. Lord, I trust that I will receive you, live for you. Whatever it is you need to do, God, that we would do it and be obedient, that you would get the glory, and that we would understand this deep joy that you've called us to. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.